Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, Jesus and His People, with a message entitled, The Authoritative Account of Jesus. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. once had the privilege of speaking at a Christian university on the trustworthiness of the Bible. I was also asked to speak about what it means to be Bible-centered. I mean, those who called me to speak were asking me to make the case for the Bible and also to call upon students to make it their life's mission to get to know this one book. Again, as I've said, it was privilege. I was quite aware that in so many academic settings around the nation and the continent, in Christian colleges and universities across this continent. A great many critics have arisen. You know, first students are challenged to rethink the authorship of Bible books and even told, look, you know, it really doesn't matter who wrote them. And then they're called upon to question the traditional dating of the writings. And then they're called upon to revision their view of the Bible. Instead of seeing it as a product of the writings of the apostles and prophets, They're called upon to see it as the result of committees, endless editing, re-editing, until it finally reaches the form we presently have. Ah, but good news, they're told. It's still the Word of God for us. Of course, most students who drink this Kool-Aid will eventually find that the basis of their faith is undercut. You know, they begin to feel that the solid ground on which they thought they once stood has become a shifting sand. I mean, I myself graduated from one such institution, and I remember graduation week I was in the seminary bookstore and I was listening to a conversation that was going on between two of my classmates. And one of them said something like this. He said, you know, when I came here, I was so certain about many things, but now I can't say with certainty even one thing from the four gospels except this. He said, I I believe that the Lord's Supper is a genuine tradition. And then he paused and he added, you know, of course, I, I, I still have my pneumatology. And if you don't know what he meant, He was simply saying that he had a belief that the Holy Spirit would direct him even though he no longer trusted in the Bible. Well, let me get back to my experience of speaking in that chapel that day. After I'd done my short defense of Bible-centered Christianity, I was then approached by one of the new students at that institution, and he said, "I I like what you said, but frankly, I'm confused. I thought we're supposed to follow Jesus and not the Bible. I was ready for that. That's because I've often heard those kind of comments before. I'm Christocentric, not bibliocentric. I worship Jesus, not the Bible. I'm not enslaved to a book, but rather to a person. I mean, that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe you've heard that stuff before as well. Now back to the student again. I said, well, tell me now, how you know anything about Jesus? I mean, Jesus didn't write a book or a letter. Well, we know at one point in time he wrote in the sand. I mean, how do you know anything about Jesus that you should claim to be his follower? What's your source of information about him? And should you say, well, you know, the Spirit has been teaching me in my heart about the real Jesus. I mean, to that I respond, cow patty hockey pucks. I can show you a hundred people who all say that, and they come up with 100 different contradictory ideas about Jesus. And most of that is the sum total of two things that has nothing to do with the Spirit. Number one, They imagine Jesus as the sum total of what they already believe. And number two, they imagine Jesus in a way that fits right into this culture. So I promise you that method has absolutely nothing to do with the real Jesus of history or the real work of the Holy Spirit. 
Consider how often the New Testament warns about false teaching. Matthew 24, 24. Jesus said that false messiahs will appear and deceive many. 1 John 4, verse 1 says that false prophets have gone out into the world. 2 Corinthians 11:4 warns about the possibility of false prophets preaching another Jesus other than the one true, authentic, historic Jesus. 2 Peter 1.16 talks about the difference between cleverly invented schemes made to distort the true identity of Jesus as opposed to the real eyewitness accounts of the real Jesus. And all that to say that the possibility of a distorted picture of Jesus arising after the time of Jesus is given a great deal of coverage in the pages of the New Testament. And that brings me back to that young student who spoke to me after my chapel sermon. He said he followed Jesus rather than the Bible, and I, to this day, haven't even the foggiest idea who he was actually following. But that begs the question. Since Jesus lived and died 2,000 years ago and since, there have been many competing visions of Jesus. Who gets to decide which is real and the legitimate picture of Jesus? I mean, it's not a, a minor question because, as most of us know, Jesus charged his followers to preach the gospel and his person to the whole world. So if it's a matter of everyone simply preaching their version of Jesus, I think we can rightly conclude the message is irrelevant. You know, if everyone has the freedom to simply invent Jesus for themselves and for that matter to invent their own version of Christianity, one thing becomes clear. At that point, there is no message of Jesus. In its place is only what people want you to believe. And then using the name of Jesus is just a clever trick to justify their beliefs. So if you're saying that you're Christocentric rather than bibliocentric, I think I have a right to say, oh, no, you're not. Rather, you're about your own personalized message or your own group's personalized message. But you're most definitely not about Jesus. It seems that Jesus already understood the certainty of this confusion long before it began. Remember, we're studying John chapter 16. Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's going away. And when he does, he will send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will empower the apostles. I mean, once the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples will then eventually fan out into the world and they'll bring the message of Jesus to the peoples of the earth. So Jesus has said, it is to your advantage that I go away. I'm going to go and then the Holy Spirit is going to come and then great conviction is going to fall upon the hearers of the gospel. And with that, Jesus, his life, his ministry, his teaching, and his gospel is going to grow and become global. But again, The possibility of distortion is real. So how did Jesus ensure that would not happen? And to that end, we come now to today's text. It's John 16, 12 to 15. So let's read it. And remember, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's start with the first line. I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Well, now. If that's true, and it is, let's also acknowledge that the time has grown very short. I mean, Jesus has only this night left, and then he's going to be taken away to be crucified. 
Yeah, it's true. He's going to have another 40 days with them after the resurrection. You know, but anyone who's ever studied Jesus' post-resurrection appearances is going to tell you that he didn't spend all 40 days in 12 hours a day with intensive teaching, you know, along with notes and outlines. I'm at the very start. Thomas disbelieved that Jesus had been raised, and so he had to be convinced, and that took time. And then at one point in time, the disciples went back from Jerusalem all the way to Capernaum, and they simply resumed their fishing careers. At another point in time, we know that he had spent time with a small crowd of more than 500 at one time, and we we assume that he taught them. That must have taken some time. And so let's get back to that one statement, shall we? I have so many more things to say to you, but in your present condition and of great distress, you can't bear them. You've reached your capacity so that any new information will not be received and incorporated into your way of thinking. You are at this point in time unprepared for the ministry I'm about to give you. So much more instruction needs to be done. But we're going to be finding the time for that. Now, if after three years of training them, that was still the case, we might think that surely the future ministry of the gospel of Jesus must now be in jeopardy. But Jesus doesn't think so. See, from his vantage point, everything has been going according to plan. So, how can he be confident? Well, look now at the first half of verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, the first thing to address here is to fully understand what Jesus meant when he said, you. That is, Jesus is assured that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So, who is the you? I hope you see it's an important question. If the you is a general you, then we would interpret verse 13 as a promise that when the Holy Spirit comes, please notice this, that he's the spirit of truth. That is, he always tells the truth that, that the Holy Spirit will guide every believer into all truth. Just be in touch with the Holy Spirit and you'll know the truth about everything about Jesus. Indeed, that's exactly how some people have understood John 16, 13. Walk in the Spirit and you'll know all the truth. Of course, if that's what Jesus intended when he said that, I can tell you most assuredly that promise didn't turn out well. The amount of divisions about what is truth regarding hundreds and hundreds of important teachings about Jesus and concepts and realities about Jesus, it simply multiplies all the time. The you can't mean every single believer in Jesus. Life Again, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, has had a profound impact on so many lives. Well, this fall, you can embark on an exciting and encouraging journey as Life Again presents our new 31 Days of Hope and Humor devotional, and it's available right now. I know we can all use a reminder of the hope we have in Jesus, along with the words of encouragement that will inspire a smile on your face. Each of us has experienced the unexpected turns of life, perhaps in these last months more than most. Yet, even when life is most challenging, we're assured that our relationship with Christ will sustain us, offer us joy and assurance. So take a moment and request your free copy of Laugh Again's 31 Days of Hope and Humor devotional at backtothebible.ca, laughagain.ca, or give us a call at one 800 663 2425. For the first 300 years of the existence of the church, 
The Christian church was racked with controversy about the identity of Jesus. See, that controversy was so extreme, it almost tore the church apart. It is still, as I see it, no small miracle that the church was preserved through such intense and passionate and divisive debates about Jesus. So let me say it again. If Jesus had promised that all believers would be guided into all truth by the Holy Spirit, then Jesus promised something that was never fulfilled. But what if the you was never intended for all believers? What if Jesus was speaking specifically to the 11 who were with him in the room, whom he had given the title apostles? Indeed, think of the matter in context. The disciples have just heard that Jesus is going away. No, that wasn't said to all believers in the future. It was uniquely about the 11. And though he told them that the world would hate them as it hated him, although that in some fashion is shared by every believer, it was uniquely experienced by the 11, especially in regard to the martyr's death they were about to experience. And when Jesus said, I didn't tell you about these things until now again, he's saying that uniquely to the 11 in the room. And so without a doubt, Most of what he said to the disciples in that room was directed uniquely at them. That doesn't mean that what Jesus said to the 11 has no application for our lives. I mean, it's it's very applicable. But here's a central point. We won't know how to apply what Jesus said to the 11 if we don't first ask, what did Jesus actually promise the 11? That's the right approach to studying any Bible passage. First find out what it meant to the original audience, only then begin to apply it to your own life. So years later, reflecting on what Jesus said and meant on that night, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 2, 19 to 20. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what's the nature of the church? Well, the church is the fellowship of members of the household of God that's built on a very specific structure. The cornerstone is Jesus. He's the foundation stone. And, you know, in the ancient world, a cornerstone would direct how every other stone would be laid. And so for every believer in Jesus today, Jesus is our cornerstone. We follow him because he directs our lives. And then as Paul says, the foundation which is laid out from the cornerstone, that foundation on which everything is built, are the apostles and the prophets. And as in the case of all buildings, the foundation is only laid once. You don't build a foundation and then lay down another one. Every building only has one foundation. Even so, the foundation of the church is the witness of the apostles and the prophets. I'll come to that matter of the prophets in just a bit. But why did Paul write that? Well, look again at the words of Jesus. He's speaking directly to the disciples. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, that is you apostles, into all truth. Now, remember the context. There's so much more the 11 have to learn. Things about Jesus, the implications of everything he said. But even though the time is short, indeed, that would be taken care of. When the spirit of truth came, the apostles, those specifically appointed by Jesus, his unique messengers called upon to bring the gospel to the world and to lay down once and for all a foundation for the church, those 11 would be guided into not not some of the truth of Jesus, listen to what he says, but all the truth of Jesus. In short, Jesus promised them that even though not all things were clear to them yet, when the spirit of truth came, these men who had been with Jesus from the beginning, 
they would be guided and directed and shown and enlightened to understand all the truth of Jesus. Indeed, God had determined that his truth would be known through these men. Now stop and think about it. That's what we have in our New Testament. The New Testament is the product of the writing of the apostles, chosen by Jesus to make sure that we never misunderstood the truth of Jesus. Their writings would be the objective, definitive word about Jesus and his gospel. That's why no one follows the true Jesus if they're not instructed about the true Jesus by the apostles. And by the way, that's not just everything that Jesus did and taught. Yeah, it's that, but it's also the implications of everything that Jesus did and taught. That's the entire record of the 27 books that make up our New Testament. Now, I'm going to get a little dig in here, so please forgive me. Now, this is why I don't like red-letter Bibles. You know, it's as if when something is in red, well, Jesus himself said that, so that's really the important stuff. But if it's in black letters, well, that's secondary. Nonsense. Jesus promised us that the full writings of the apostles would be all the truth of Jesus, both his deeds and the implications of his deeds in terms of commands, doctrines, promises, and so forth. There's so much more to be said. You know, someone might ask, well, how did Paul become one of the apostles? Yeah, I'm going to give a shortened version of that, but please understand that Peter himself calls Paul an apostle and says that Paul's writings are scripture. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them about these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other, what, scriptures. Indeed, we know that for a period of three years, the risen Jesus had met with Paul and taught him, and so Paul taught the gospel that was taught to him by Jesus himself. Ah, then, what about the Bible books written by men other than the apostles? You know, Luke, Mark, James, Jude, so forth. Well, the answer is that these men are the prophets. Paul mentions the prophets in Ephesians. You know, furthermore, these prophets were always and at all times in their writings under the direct supervision of the apostles. And so Jesus' words literally became true. When the Holy Spirit came, whom Jesus called the Spirit of Truth, he would guide his chosen apostles into all the truth about himself. These men would write the authoritative record. That's why we never, ever make a distinction between being bibliocentric and Christocentric. All true Christians understand that to make such a distinction is to dishonor Jesus, who himself set up the means by which he would be understood and by which we would become his followers. Now then, having told his disciples that they would become the objective interpreters of the life, death, ministry, and meaning of the Jesus event, Jesus has more to say to them about the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 13. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, that's essential to understand. The role of the Spirit is not to declare himself, but he will declare the truth about Jesus at the direction of God the Father. It's not an independent role. Notice also that a part of ensuring the gospel of Jesus is firmly understood It's also the role of declaring the things to come. You know, today many Bible teachers call that eschatology. And the word means the doctrine of things concerning the end. 
or more popularly, about the end times. That is, you know, the coming tribulation, the rise of Antichrist, the return of Jesus, the consummation of his eternal kingdom. Indeed, that also is a part of the truth of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will ensure that all believers are grounded into the true and authentic hope. Now to verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, that's why we're bibliocentric in order to be Christocentric. Now to verse 15. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's a wonderful conclusion to this section. To the eleven who wondered what would happen when Jesus leaves this earth, they're given an ironclad promise. None of the truths of Jesus are going to be lost, not ever. And in conclusion, Jesus makes that point. All that belongs to the Father, that also belongs to me. And therefore know this, God the Father himself is going to make sure that everything I have done, everything I have accomplished in my life, in my atoning death, and in my resurrection, every piece of it will be declared to you with accuracy. What's the application for believers today? Listen, believer in Jesus. God the Father has ensured that those apostles and prophets who wrote the revelation of Jesus for you and I, he has ensured through the Holy Spirit that they got it right. There were no errors. There were no mistakes in their thinking. They said exactly what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit wanted us to hear. So, do you want to follow Jesus? Get busy. Study your Bible. Obey what it says, and you'll find yourself following Jesus. Thanks so much, John. John, let me ask you a somewhat related, but maybe a, a bit of a unique question. When you think of the name of the ministry, Back to the Bible, why is that so important? Yeah, you know, uh, Ben, you and I had this conversation when I first began here at Back to the Bible, and the conversation, as you remember, uh, when something like, you know, given how the culture that we live in has changed, I mean, a lot of people have not even been to the Bible in the first place, so Back to the Bible seems like it's no longer relevant. Um, but I think, you know, God has, in a wonderful way, overseen this ministry. I mean, Back to the Bible tells us that, it, that the answers uh, that we are seeking are back to the Bible, that the Bible can be trusted, that the Bible needs to be examined, that it needs to be thoroughly examined so that uh, every issue in our life can find an answer in the pages of Scripture itself. So you know, I'm very happy uh, with the name of the ministry, Back to the Bible. It tells what we're about. Uh, that we're not about ourselves, we're about Scripture. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The Advent season is a very special time of year. But it sometimes gets lost in the bright lights of the Christmas season. While this month, join Dr. John Newfeld and special musical guest Brian Dirksen, the Arias, and the Pilkey sisters as he walks us through the weeks of Advent, preparing our hearts for the celebration of Jesus' birth with a very special video presentation entitled An Advent Celebration. Preparation takes practice, readiness, waiting, and allowing God to go beyond our expectations to fulfill His will in our lives. 
and Advent celebration can be viewed online at backtothebible.ca or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. To know more or to make a gift to support the ministry this season, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.